We are back in the book of Acts this morning. One of my favorite texts in all of the Bible. It's a story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch or leader. I don't know, maybe I, I, I love the text because it's so action-oriented. You know, there's not a lot of words in it, not a lot of verbiage, no long stuff. It's just really direct and action-oriented and moving forward. What I'd like to do is, is read the passage and then kind of walk back down through the text and kind of flesh it out for us and then to make some application to our kind of our so what. What does it mean to us when we begin to think about what does it, what does it really mean to live faith the way it's supposed to be? So we pick up with Philip, who's still ministering in Samaria. And it says in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to the desert Gaza. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. And the Spirit of the Lord said, Go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, what, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this, and it's from Isaiah 53, a passage of scripture the early church used over and over again. He says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearers, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch replied to Philip, says, I ask you, is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else, another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. And as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What, what would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he, he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip appeared in Azotus, and passing through, he was evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now sometimes when you read the Scripture, at least as I look at it through my filters, you, 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 want, you think that God really needed a marketing strategist, you know, or an executive vice president or, or a publicist or something or other. Because when we, we look at this text, we find Philip, you know, he's in Samaria and there is a, there is a regional revival breaking out. You know, city after city, village after village is hearing the gospel, is, re- is receiving the gospel. Great joy is spreading. God is finally getting a large market share, you know, in Samaria. And one of the key sales agents, one of the key people that God's using is Philip. And so he's right in the midst of it. And what does God decide to do? Well, I'll take the key player and I'll just send them out to the most minor market I can find, the desert road going down to Gaza. You know, he, he, he picks Philip out of the midst of this huge revival that's going on, and he sends him off to a place where there's nobody. You know, and, and again, it just always reminds me that, that God's ways are not the ways of man. You know, often the work of God is totally counterintuitive. Doesn't make sense to us, but that's just the way that God works. And I gotta tell you, I, I'm grateful at times, very grateful at times that God's ways are not our ways. I mean, we've had the message of grace and forgiveness 
from God for over 2,000 years, and we as the people of God still can't figure out how to apply it to our lives and bring real healing. And I'm, I, So I'm grateful that it's not up to our ways, but it's God's ways that really control and work things. So Philip finds himself out on the road to Gaza. Gaza is in kind of south and west of Jerusalem. It's not too far from the coast. It's one of the cities that was left over from the days of the Philistines. And when you know Saul and David used to battle with the Philistines, it was one of their cities. It was, what's the right description? It was the El Paso of the promised land. All right, And it was, you know, Gaza was the last watering hole, the last place where you loaded up with supplies before you headed out into the desert on your way to Egypt. I mean, it was just this last outpost on the edge of the desert, you know, and it was a place that in many ways, maybe nobody really wanted to go, but here's Philip, he's he's out on the side of the road. You wonder what he was thinking. You know, he's, he's probably squatting down, trying to stay, you know, he's on the side of the road, so God, what, God, what are you doing? I mean, I was preaching to big crowds in Samaria, and, and I'm standing out here on the side of this road, and, and down comes this chariot. It probably didn't look like the chariot's in Ben-Hur, you know, it wasn't fancy with gold and all that kind of stuff. And it certainly wasn't pulled by a big team of horses. Most likely it was being pulled, pulled by an ox. So the fact that the Holy Spirit told Philip to go run alongside of it wasn't the fact that he was a track star. He probably could do it walking backwards and keep up with it, you know. And so he goes up and he's, and, and, and here comes this guy and he's probably not alone because this individual, and we're never told his name, is somebody. The, the area that's referred to here as Ethiopia is, is, is not where we would find modern-day Ethiopia. So the area probably more of, of the Sudan, the northern part of the Sudan. It was a civilization that grew out of the, the, the area of Kush, and, and it was one of the most advanced civilizations in the world at that time. In fact, the Romans and the Greeks were kind of mesmerized a little bit by this culture, and they saw this this nation as the la- as really being the the last frontier, if you will, of civilization. On the outside of that, there was no more civilized world. And this guy was the secretary of the treasury for this nation. He was the minister of finance. Now they had a kind of an interesting form of government. They had a king who kind of was the figurehead, but the queen mother was the one who held all the power. Okay. And the title they used for the Queen Mother was Candace. So it's kind of like being Pharaoh. It wasn't the individual name, but it described the position, and it was the position of Candace. And this guy served in her cabinet. He was the head of the treasury. Now, he's referred to here as a eunuch. Now, that could be just a title, because it came to be used in that nation as a, saying that, you know, I, I, I'm a eunuch, I, which meant that you were a part of the, the Queen's leadership, the, the part of the, the, the team of from Candace that kind of ran everything, but it also could be used as a description of his physical condition, okay? Let's be as discreet as we can, right? It could be a description of his physical condition, and the fact that we're told that he's both a eunuch and a leader in the nation probably indicates that it was. Now, that, that it was descriptive of a physical condition, though it's got to make you wonder, I mean, how did Luke find that out, you know? Yeah, anyways, so... Let me try to reel you back in right now, and we'll get back onto this message line. So, so he, this guy had come all the way to Jerusalem. I mean, this is not a short trip. I mean, yesterday afternoon, I climbed on a plane at Tampa at 6 o'clock. And I was back in Boston before midnight. I mean, this is not that kind of a trip. This guy's traveling in a, in a, a chariot without shocks, <laughs> drawn by an ox. And he's got to walk all the way from Jerusalem to the southern end of the nation of Egypt to where the Nile begins on the south side of Egypt in the area that's known 
in those days is Ethiopia or the kingdom of Nubia or of Cush, however you want to look at it. It's a long journey. He's come all the way to Jerusalem to worship. And he's on his return trip. And he's, and he's reading the, he, I mean, what else are you going to do? They didn't have in-flight movies, you know, when you're in this chariot. And, and, and he's on the desert road. So after a while, you're looking around and there's nothing else to see, you know? It's just desert. So he pulls out a scroll and he begins to read. And as was the custom of the day, he's reading out loud, right? Because back then, the, the, the manuscripts, you know, they, they didn't have the best of instruments or whatever. Sometimes it was really trying to figure it hard to figure out when one word ended and where the next work started. So it was a common practice in those days to read out loud. So he's reading out loud in his chariot with his entourage following along before and after. And, and the Spirit tells Philip, I want up by that chariot. Run alongside of that, that, that chariot. And he gets up there and he, and he just said, well, do you under, what are you reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And the guy said, well, how can I? I don't have anybody explain it to me. And somewhere probably in the exchange, Philip said, well, I can help you with that. And he said, well, hop up in my chariot. And I'm, I'm sure Philip is thinking, great, now I'm going to be farther away from Jerusalem. But he hops up into his chariot, and, and away they go, and, and he's reading this passage. I mean, you, you can just see the fingerprints of God on this, right? He's not reading some kind of story about David or this or that. He's reading the suffering servant passage out of Isaiah 53. One that we, looking back on this, from this side of the cross, can clearly see is a messianic passage where God speaks about the way that He's going to change the world through His Son. And so, the prophet, the, the, the eunuch asks a very profound question. Well, is the prophet talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? And Philip says, well, well, let me tell you. And he begins to preach the good news, to tell him about the good news of Jesus, starting from that Scripture. Now, many of you know that down in verse 37, you have brackets around your Scripture, okay? If you're looking in your, in your Bibles, or even in our pew Bibles, uh, and I think this text is on page 933, um, you'll see brackets. And, and, and what that means is that, that the earliest manuscripts that we have of this, of this text don't contain this verse. So, and it's likely that they were probably added later. But even though they may not be inspired, it doesn't mean that they're incorrect. Because, you know, when he, when he begin to tell him the good news about Jesus, it certainly would have incorporated all of the, the calling him to, to make a choice of faith and to embrace Christ as his Savior and Lord. And he says, where he gets to the place where he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so after the Ethiopian eunuch experiences that, they see water out on the side of the road, probably a minor miracle all by itself. Mm-hmm. And they stop, and they both get down into the water, and he's baptized. And when they come up out of the water, the, the Spirit of the Lord carries Philip away. There, there was a, a road that ran along the Mediterranean. Coming out of Egypt, it would make its way up to Caesarea, a little further up by Mount Carmel, and then it would cut its way across through the plains and it would go out to Damascus and Assyria and the, and the, and the, and the great nations to the north and to the east of, of the Promised Land. And, and so... Philip is guided up that road, essentially. He finds himself in another Philistine city, a leftover city called Azotos, and later he makes his way further up that same road to the city of Caesarea. The Ethiopian, he travels on his long, long, long journey with great joy in his heart. It's, it's, it's just a remarkable text. But it really kind of begs you the question, why is this passage of Scripture in our Bibles? You know, I mean, it's a great story, but, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stories God left out, right? I mean, how many of you have questions that the Bible doesn't answer, right? You know, and so what, what, why is this story in here and the other stuff's not in there, you know? We want to know where, you know, Seth's sister's uh, wife's came from. And we, you know, why isn't that stuff in there and we have this story? And 
There's some of, some who would want to go and, 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 well, let me put it this way. There's something, some reasons why this is not in the Bible, okay? There's those of us who think the reason that this passage of scripture is in the Bible is so that we have an explanation about baptism. I want to tell you, this passage of Scripture is not in the Bible so that we can know about baptism, okay? It certainly is a very clear reflection of the way the early church practiced baptism. It was the process of proclamation, then commitment, and then the profession of faith through the act of baptism. That's clearly laid out. That was the practice of the early church. The baptism was by immersion, but this passage of Scripture is not in the Bible so that we... Baptists in the 21st century have a place to stand on to say, this is why we do baptism like this. we got this big 400-gallon tank up here. And that's not why it's in the Bible. Now, there's great, it's a great illustration for us, but that's not why God gave us this passage of Scripture. There are others who would look at it and say, well, this is a great model for evangelism, you know? And so, the, you know, this passage in here, show us how to do evangelism. You know, following the Spirit's lead, using the Word of God, you know, engaging in conversation with people, etc. And this is an incredible picture. It's an incredible picture of how God can use us to share the good news with other people. But this is not in here to show us how to do evangelism. Nor is it in here to show us or to tell us about how to do baptism. So, so why is this passage in the in the Bible? And, and it's here. I, I want to draw our our lens out just a little further and bring a little bit more of the Book of Acts. You know, in, in chapter seven, we saw the martyrdom of Stephen. He was one of the lay leaders elected to assist with the ministry of the church, and he is out sharing his faith. He gets into a, some confrontation with. Some one of the particular synagogues that happened to be particularly nationalistic in Jerusalem. And in the midst of that dialogue, he lands up in conflict and he finds himself being killed as a heretic, as a blasphemer. The result of that was that those who were not Palestinian Jews, those who weren't, who didn't speak Aramaic as their foundation, those Christians were driven out of the city. And God is beginning to fulfill his, his plan, if you will, of spreading the gospel through the entire planet throughout to the ends of the earth and in the chapters that we're looking at we're going to see a slow progression where god creates a beachhead for the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth it starts first of all with the samaritans which is where philip had just been the samaritans and we talked about this last week and we're not going to go into a lot of detail with it but they had they had some roots in judaism the jews didn't really see him as jews but you could probably make a case that, that they had some claim to the covenant promises that had been given to Abraham. So there, there's most of them I say, well, you know, they're, they're really not Jews, but they're not Gentiles either. So, yeah. But then you get to the situation with the Ethiopian. He's kind of like a transitional figure. There, there's no doubt this guy was, was a black guy. His skin was black. And he was somebody of prestige. He was a notable leader. But he was also a proselyte. He was a Gentile who wanted to be a Jew. Now, because he was a eunuch, if he was a physical eunuch, he, he might not have been able to become a complete Jew. They certainly wouldn't have allowed him into the temple proper area. But, but still, he was a Gentile who wanted to be a Jew. He was clearly a proselyte. He had traveled weeks to get to Jerusalem just to worship, just to be in the place where God presence was in the temple. And so he's a kind of a transitional kind of Greek. In chapter 9, which is where we're going to pick up when we get done with 40 Days of Love, we see God bringing 
into the faith community, his instrument by which he's going to expand the, the kingdom is the Apostle Paul in his Damascus Road experience. In chapters 10 and 11, you have Peter and Cornelius, where you have a full-blown Gentile. He's not a proselyte. He's not somebody who wants to be a Jew, but he's a Gentile. He and his household come to know Christ. And, and when you get down to Acts chapter 11, verse 19, the Scripture says that, they said they drew the conclusion, well, God has granted this, the, the repentance that leads to life even to the Gentiles. And God is working all this stuff out through chapters 8, 9, 10, 11. And, and it's a marvelous thing. And what this passage is about is how God is expanding the kingdom. It's how God's expanding the kingdom. That's what this passage is all about. It's, it's God communicating to us that He is going to expand His kingdom. And you can just see the fingerprints of God all over this. From His direction of Philip to go down to this road that leads out to nowhere. You know, to, to the direction of the Spirit to, to Philip to pick out this particular chariot, this particular person who's passing by to engage with. The very fact this guy is reading the Scriptures and reading a Messianic passage and the way he responds to the Gospel and is baptized, all of that is clearly communicating that God's hand is on the expansion of the kingdom. And, and one of the things that may, ought to make us think about today is, has God's kingdom entered into us? Has God's kingdom really entered into us? You know, right now, just as God was ready back in Acts chapter 8, God is ready to extend His kingdom into any heart that's ready for Him. Chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, God is creating a beachhead so that any person at any time in any place can come to know the life-changing love of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And that, and this is any time, at any place, for anyone. The same place that we here have here at 35 Chocks Road. It's a place where you and I can experience the life-transforming love that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it happens exactly like it did to the Ethiopian. The acknowledgement of our need for God, which is, we might use the word, our confession of our sin, the repentance, the readiness to change where we are, and that the instead of moving away from God, the repentance, the change to move back towards, towards God. And that comes through the commitment of faith in Jesus Christ. And if, if you've not made that step today, Boy, I, I tell you, I don't, I don't know how I could faithfully teach what this word is all about without saying that opportunity is available for you today. Take that step. Boy, get to go on down the road of life just like this Ethiopian, full of joy, full of joy. Do it today. In fact, on the back of those connection cards, we have a place for you to indicate today that I want to become a follower of Christ. And you can check that off. Nobody's going to see it but, but me and, and Carol back in the office, and we'll get a chance to follow up with you just to just make sure you understand the step that you've taken. As the Ethiopian said, how, how can I understand this stuff unless someone explains it to me? And I would be glad, or someone from our staff, or one of us would be glad to explain it to you. You just indicate, and we'll be glad to come alongside your chariot and hop in if you ask us to. Now, we've got a couple minutes left. And I want to ask this question of, what does this tell us about the way faith is supposed to be? You know, we've been, we've been working through this journey, trying to get back to discovering kind of the roots of our faith. To kind of peel away all of the culture and tradition, etc. And, and trying to get a better sense of how faith really operates and should be operating in us. And, and i got to tell you, there, there is a tremendous word for us when we see the contrast between Simon that we encountered in the ministry to the Samarians and Philip. See, one of, one of the, probably the biggest barriers that you and I have to living faith the way we're supposed to be is the way that we relate to the Holy Spirit. 
the power of God in us so that faith can be the way it's supposed to be. And probably the greatest challenges that we have is how you and I relate to the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who weren't here last week, Simon was a guy who up in the region of Samaria, just north of Jerusalem, had impressed people for a long time. He was a tremendous magician sorcerer. And he pulled off feats that had them saying, this guy is one of God's greatest. You know, And so he was a person of influence. And along comes Philip with the real power of God. And he's mesmerized by him. And so he becomes Philip's disciple. Not necessarily Jesus' disciple, but Philip's disciple. He wants to see how Peter's, Philip's doing all this stuff. And so he follows him around. And then later when Peter and John show up to be used of God to affirm that God has embraced the Samaritans into the covenant of grace by having the Holy Spirit come to them. And that's not designed to be a normative experience for everyone where we have a faith experience and a coming of the Holy Spirit experience where like there's two blessings. It's a, This is a unique thing where God is using Peter and John to say, I have embraced these folks as a part of the covenant of grace. And he sees that and he says like, man, that's the kind of power I want. And then you see Philip, who's being used of God in a mighty way. And God says, you know what? I don't want you serving the many. I'm going to send you out to the one on the desolate road on the side of the, side of the, you know, on the road that leads to nowhere. And Philip says, send me. And he gets there and the Spirit says, you see this one? You know, it's, it's blazing hot out, you know, et cetera. Get up and run along the side of this chariot. And Philip goes. And then God gives him the wisdom to be able to explain the word to him. And he leads him to faith. And then Philip continues to follow God's leadership. There's a huge contrast between these two. And, you know, let me kind of reach out and kind of grab another thought. One of the one of the greatest passages of Scripture that gives us hope and challenges us, but for me is also very disheartening, is in John chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus said, you know, he says, truly, truly, I say to you that the kind of works that you see me doing, you will also do. And you will do greater works than these because I go to the Father. And, and we read that passage and we say, great. And then we look at our life and we say, what? You know, I, I'm not doing the kind of stuff that Jesus did. I'm not doing greater works than that. And, 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 it, and it's both encouraging and depressing all at the same time. You, you know what I mean? And, and I look at these guys and I see the contrast between those who get depressed by that promise of Jesus and those who get to experience that promise of Jesus. So let me just give you a couple of contrast between these two guys. Simon, he wanted to be able to control God's power. He, 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 he offered to give money to Peter and John, if they would show him how to be able to control God's power so he could dispense it on people when the time was right for profit. Philip, he didn't want to control God's power. Philip was controlled by God's power. See the difference? Many of us want the power of God in our lives, but we want to control God's power in our lives. We don't want to be controlled by it. And it's the difference between being disheartened or experiencing the promise of God in our lives. Simon wanted God's power so he could have the life he always wanted. He wanted to be the doer of the superlative so that he could be rich and famous. He wanted God's power so he could have the life he always wanted. For Philip, God was his life. God just was his life. He didn't have any other agenda. He didn't say, God, I like it better here in Samaria. <laughs> Though I will tell you that when he got to Caesarea, that's a nice place. Yeah. Probably the first indoor pool in the whole world you know, was in Caesarea. <laughs> Different story. Anyways, God was his life. Simon, he wanted to be able to use God's power. Philip, he was used by God's power. Now, the differences between those two things may be subtle, but they are powerful. Many of us want to be able to use God's power to bless others, 
But that's not the same thing as submitting your life to God's power to be used by Him. You know, and if John 14.12 is to become a reality in our lives, where the same kind of works that Jesus did, and, and here's Philip on a dusty road explaining the Scriptures, and they're coming to life to the Ethiopian. What did Jesus do in Luke chapter 24? Post-resurrection, walking along the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. Dusty road, explaining the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are coming alive to him, alive to them. Philip is doing the works of Jesus. He's doing the works of Jesus. For that to become a reality in our experience, we've got to become like Philip and stop being like Simon. We have to find our life in God, not find God so we can have the life that we want. We don't, want, we don't need to be looking to control God's presence in our lives. We need to be controlled by God's power and by His presence. And we don't need to seek to be using God's power, but we simply need to be used by God's power. And when that happens in our lives, God will expand the kingdom in us, and He'll expand the kingdom through us. And this promise that Jesus said, that this will happen when I go to the Father, that you will do these kinds of works and greater works than these will come to happen. And when that happens, when Jesus is doing greater works through us, then that's when faith is like it's supposed to be. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for small blessings to be able to get through this sermon without yawning. Because <laughs> I'm tired. But God, boy, there's great promise. God, I, I don't know if, if any of us in this place today fully understand the difference between being used by you or seeking to use you. But God, that's what your spirit's up to. So Father, I, I want to be bold. D- d- let, let these thoughts chase us. Let them track us from this place. Let them keep us awake at night. Let them, let them lead us to, to turn off the radio when we're commuting in the car and just to think or whether we are controlled by you or whether we are seeking to control you in our lives. And God, do so for your honor and glory that your kingdom might expand in us and around the world. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.